Welcome to Glass Talk, Canada's podcast for the architectural glass industry. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Glass Talk. I'm Pat Flannery. Today, I was joined by Ryan Spurgeon, the president of Antimex. Ryan is one of the really uh, articulate and energetic people in uh, the Canadian glass industry today, uh, running, of course, uh, one of the uh, iconic uh, glass fabricators and, uh, and installers uh, in the GTA. Um, I think everybody knows Antimex. They've been around for 50 years. Um, and Ryan and I got into uh, just a, a, a lot of good conversation about a lot of uh, very uh, uh, interesting and, and different areas, uh, some discussion of their uh, uh, transition into and out of the Old Castle Group, uh, some uh, discussion of the restructuring of Antimex uh, since its uh, departure from Old Castle into a, a facade retrofit division, uh, and also a partner systems division that's uh, making products for resale. Um, we got into uh, some discussion about their, their new Alliston facility and, and what's going on there. And then lots of broader uh, industry talk about uh, you know, what's going on in, uh, in the glass business these days. Uh, supply chain challenges, uh, obviously top of mind. Uh, how, you, uh, how you attract and retain uh, labor. Um, the uh, energy efficiency set, uh, standards and uh, our threat or opportunity there. Um, the uh, Antimex and Ryan were uh, were involved in the uh, some of the Canadian trade tribunal disputes a few years ago that uh, had tariffs put on Chinese curtain wall. We talk a lot about that industry, uh, about uh, you know protectionism versus uh, market forces. And, uh, and just Ryan has, has lots of uh, great perspectives and, and stories from, uh, from uh, his experiences at, at the top of Antimex. So hope you enjoy my conversation with uh, Ryan Spurgeon from Antimex. All right, everybody, super excited to be here with Ryan Spurgeon from Antimex. He is the president of Antimex, one of, shall we say, the iconic uh, Canadian glass fabrication companies uh, located uh, at, near Toronto. Are you in Concord, uh, Ryan? 407 in Kiel. 407 in Kiel. There you go. So uh, right in the right in the heart of uh, the, the Toronto manufacturing district there. Uh, and, uh, you know, been around forever, uh, uh, was owned by Old Castle for a while, now is back privately, we're going to get into all of that. Uh, just uh, really a great opportunity to, uh, to talk with, uh, you know, one of our leaders out there, I guess, without making Ryan blush. Uh, Ryan, uh, uh, welcome so much to Glass Talk. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. So Ryan, why don't you start us off? Just give us the, uh, the FYI on you. Uh, and, uh, and, and just for the Two people that aren't aware, uh, uh, what uh, all about Antimex. Fair enough. Uh, so nothing could be worse uh, talking about myself, but I'll jump into it. The, uh, <laughs> obviously, young guy, I don't have a lot of gray hairs on me. Um, what I'll say is, you know, I think this is a lot of the culture that Antimax is trying to drive, but I was given a lot of opportunity at a young age. I had three great mentors, for anyone who doesn't know, Paul Brown at Barry Metro Glass, provided a ton of opportunity early in my career to you know, make a ton of mistakes and learn from those failures, which again, that's another thing we've really been driving at Antimax is controlled failure, something we can get into. Um, if anyone doesn't know, Dan Michelli spent a ton of time at True Light, prior companies, I believe Armored Guard and ProTem. I learned all my glass knowledge from him. I probably, you know, he's forgotten more than I've ever recepted from him, but 
when you talk about a crusty old guy in the industry who just wants <laughs> people to learn, that was Dan. And then Steve Gusterson over to Lumicor. Just three great mentors who provided me tons of opportunity to learn, meet people, and grow. Um, and through my career, you know, I started at Barry Metro. Um, I was an estimator, project manager, GM. Um, we grew the business really nice across the country. We did a lot of uh, hard garbage work, but it was profitable. It was a great time. Uh, then I decided to make a shift in my career, came over to the Antimax uh, brand, which was at the time called Old Castle Toronto EP, for those who do not know. Um, and since then, it's been a roller coaster ride. It's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of change, and this is kind of what you see is what you get. Um, so I guess jumping into Antimax, which is way more fun to talk about, and I could go on for hours, really the... <laughs> You, you can't talk about a company um, you know, better than Antimax, in my opinion. And obviously, I'm very skewed on that view, but Antimax really is a cool company. There's not a job we haven't done or complexity that we couldn't take over. Um, we get a lot of the quote-unquote the first. We're not going to be the biggest. We're never going to be the biggest. I can guarantee you that. Um, but everything that we do is about trying to fill the right capacity with the right work and complexity. Um, and there's been a lot of change that comes with that. The jobs we've done are amazing. I mean, Toronto Pearson Terminal 1. Art Gallery of Ontario, the Bow, ExxonMobil headquarters, 3 million square foot facade, Canary Wharf in the UK. There's still people around here that did that back in hmm. the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but nonetheless, like these are jobs. You did know, did well you invest? Did you invest, Ryan? <laughs> but what can I say? Okay. <laughs> no, nonetheless, it's, we've done some really amazing custom curtain wall jobs. And I think that's the foundation of Antimax. There's great people here. There's a great story. There's a lot of days where it feels like a sitcom. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's a great 50-year-old brand founded by Tony Corolla, I think, in 1969, privately held through two ownership groups. 2006, we were sold to Old Castle Building Envelope, uh, rebranded in 2011 to OBE, uh, divested in 2018, and then brought back the Antimax brand. And uh, it's been a journey ever since then. And we, we were acquired by O3 Industries December 31st, 2018. And that's kind of the... Uh, the new Antimax or the 4.0, as we call it internally. The the the, the changes have, have been coming, I know, uh, fast and furious for you guys. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to get into a lot of that. Uh, before before we get to that, though, I, I, I just want to circle back on something you say said. Um, you'll never be the biggest. Why is that? What what, what that, that's obviously a deliberate decision. Um, um, tell, tell me the difference between trying to be the biggest and not trying to be the biggest and why one one is the approach you guys want to take and the other is not. Probably get myself in trouble for this one, but <laughs> show me one curtain wall company that didn't try and go big, that didn't get close to bankruptcy or go into bankruptcy. Mm. Uh, I think the reality of our industry is we get greedy, we get uh, illogical about what our true capacities are. Um, we're a weird trade. A lot of people don't take into consideration the fact that we're not really a contractor Truly, we're engineering and we're manufacturers that have this weird 15% of contract value, which is install. Um, so ultimately, you know, we have four or five different bottlenecks within our businesses being vertically integrated from design, engineering, manufacturing, installation. Um, and you know, we, we've seen it. How many curtain wall companies try and make that big push? There's just natural thresholds. Um, we have our own internal belief of what that legacy business should look like. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that here, but... I would say a controlled capacity. And that's why we say we're never gonna be the biggest. We're not afraid to say no. Um, we've walked away from a lot of jobs. We've also not gotten a lot of jobs, but we're, we're not afraid to just be humble about it and say, you know, that doesn't fit our capacity. It doesn't fit our schedule. Um, we can maybe get into it a bit deeper, but I really think that's, that's a big part of the secret sauce here is that 
we're not going to take on work that we can't complete. Um, and we take on some really complex stuff, but we have capacity restraints just like everyone else. We all think we can outsource. It never works. We'll, you know, we blow our brains out in the process. Yeah. Um, so we, we have a target and we're not about being the biggest. We're just about trying to be the best. And it's, it's easy to say it's really, really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's that, there's that, that, that thread of, of, of overextension. Uh, you know, I, I think all companies come up against that at a certain point and, uh, and, you know, whether, whether, whether you want to, whether you want to go that route or not is, uh, is, is, is almost, almost a personal choice or at least a choice of the, the people sitting around the boardroom table. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that's, uh, you know, like, like you say, 50 years in business must be doing something right with the approach. Uh, so that, uh, that kind of tells you right there, uh, you know, if, if you want to be one of the lucky few that break through and become the biggest, okay. But you know, the, 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 you also, you'll strike out a lot more times and you'll hit a home run. So, uh, that's. We're not going to blow smoke. Hey, we were one of those companies that got close to the end. We tried to grow fast. We tried to grow hard. Yeah. Now, revenue doesn't mean anything. I think that's a, a big fault of our industry is we look at a contract value and go, oh man, how much money can we make? But let's be real. It's get the job and try not to lose money. It's mm. not here. There's not a lot of jobs you end up getting and then you actually deliver right to the budget. You, you have some you go over, you have some you come under, but it's controlling that burn along that process. We're involved with jobs three, four years. You know, we can go through six, seven project managers and or superintendents on the GC side in one job. So there's a lot of pain to be had, um, but that's our goal is it's capacity-based business. And uh, we, we learned the hard way and we're not afraid to admit it, um, but that's how I believe that we're gonna be successful in the future is knowing that control. What, what, what kind of, what kind of metrics, what kind of numbers do you look at Ryan to, to assess risk? Uh, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. in uh, uh, like you say, uh, uh, you know, contracts. And I, I think <laughs> to some extent, uh, especially Canadian contracts seem to seem to seem to ca carry this, this, this huge element of, of, of risk of subcontractors uh, 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 dying out or doing the wrong thing. Uh, uh, ownership changeovers, uh, 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 downloading of, uh, uh, of payment and financing to the, to the subcontractors. Um, um, there's, there's just these, these multiple intersecting ways that, uh, that things can go wrong in a job and cost you a lot of money. Um, um, what, what do you look at? How do you, what, how do you build in? How do you, how do you understand what has to be in place to manage that? I would say about 90% of it doesn't even come down to the job because really at the end of the day, we can all do these jobs. We all can find the right engineers, the right designers, the right manufacturers. It actually comes down to who's on the project team from the other side. You know, who's the owner, who's the developer, who's the, the contractor, not even just the contractor, who's on the contractor's team. Do we, have we had experiences with those PMs and superintendents, how organized, logistics, delivery, like the job is the job. We all can make curtain wall frames. They're not going to dispute that. There's great competition in our market. There's great companies locally, but when it comes down to the risk side of it is who's on the other side of the table, because it doesn't really matter at that point. If you've got a guy who has not, who doesn't want anything to do with you and is going to make your life hell because that's been the way he's operated or she's operated for 30 years. That's life. Um, and Hey, we've walked to, we did it a month ago. There was an amazing job that, you know, I'm crying a little bit at night that we didn't take. It was, <laughs> it was ours for the taking, but it wasn't the right project team at the end of the day. It mm. would have been great in the portfolio, but What's the point of doing all this work, working weekends, evenings, all the stress that comes with our industry to then, you know, lose money, not make money, because you know what will happen at the end. Um, so I, I really think risk comes down to starting at that block, 
then it really comes down to the, you know, the accuracy of the team and the involvement. You know, a bid for us can range anywhere from 75000 to it's cost us up to $250,000, $300,000 to bid a job before. Right. We might, we bring in the iron workers. We're signatory with the iron workers in, in Ontario. Um, we'll bring in two or three iron workers during the bid phase to be evaluating. We'll bring in a full design and engineering team. So an average bid package from us might be 400, 450 pages of engineering detail. So evaluating every step of the risk, the project in my eyes is kind of the easy part. It's how to roll that project into commercialization. It, that's where we spend a lot of our time. And hey, we get it wrong just as much as everyone else does. So yeah. we're not perfect, but I think that's where we've, we're making a lot of strides and focusing. The other thing is, you know, I think our industry, we don't build anything anymore. We're just wannabe lawyers. We just pass paper. We're, you know, we're, we're really just focusing on what does the contract say? It's like, oh yeah, at the end of the job, that's a pretty building. But, you know, there's not a lot of jobs that look back and go, oh man, like look at all the pain and suffering along the way. It's, it's a pretty building, but we're just managing really paper at this point. Um, and yeah. I think that's a hard part for the industry that, we, that we've experienced and we're trying to evolve around is what's that hybrid? And it comes down to finding the right customers, being you know, engaged with them, not being afraid to be honest. We're far from perfect. And a lot of our competitors are far from perfect as well. Um, I think we just are a lot more open and honest about that risk in the process and saying, this is where we're going to have faults. This is where we aren't going to have faults. Understanding the people, understanding the relationships with the people that you're, that you're working with and then bringing in, I, I like this idea of a, almost a multidisciplinary team. It's certainly a, a, a management trend that's, that's very popular in healthcare, for instance, uh, 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 bringing in sort of a multidisciplinary team to, to look at the project, like you say, right in the bid stages. That, that, seems, that seems like a novel approach to me. Do you feel like a lot of, a lot of your competitors do that or is that something a little bit unique to you guys? I think there's others that actually do it way better than us. Okay. Um, I think that they run maybe a little bit leaner, but a little bit more, they've got a little bit more gray hair under their belt and it's just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that doing that, we get a lot of new ideas. We get a lot of different topics, a lot of fresh perspectives. Um, I think that we could always do it better. I, you know, sometimes we overthink. There's probably jobs where it only needed to cost us 15 grand to bid the job instead of, you know, 50 grand. Um, but the big ones, we're going to put the money in and we're, we're also going to tell the customer if we don't think it's the right job for us, because it does cost us upwards of a hundred thousand on you know, the average job to bid. So why waste that resource? That's, that's our profitability at the end of the day. Right. Right. Just quickly go over the divisions for me, uh, uh, uh Ryan, how, how is the, how is the company structured? Ah, okay. So Antimax is like, so we have a legacy, what we kind of call it internally that just someday got picked up. That's really what Antimax has always been. That's our custom curtain wall division. Um, we'll do anywhere between, say, 15,000 frames a year, 1 to 1.25 million square feet of curtain wall. Um, usually, you would see our foundation in Legacy being a 30 to $60 million facade um, contract. And then what we try and do is fill it with you know, a bunch of various projects in and around, say, the 10 to $20 million range. And then if we need some quick hitters to fill capacity, we'll... We'll take a three to five million dollar job here or there just to fill fill a hole, and um, I think that's honestly a really important note is that those jobs I think a lot of people in our space overlook. Uh, probably giving away too much here, but <laughs> they overlook them. But those are great training grounds. That's that's how you get a good coordinator into a PM role sooner. That's how you oh. can provide those people that opportunity on a low risk and you know three million dollar job. When I was back at Barry Metro, that it's a high risk job, but in our world we can we can take on that risk and provide you know, a junior PM, a junior designer, a junior engineer, a lot more opportunity on those. And I think people pass those up way too often because they, 
know, it's going to be a headache only for 300 frames. Well, so what? You can grow better people out of that process. Um, Interesting. So sorry, that's legacy. Legacy is the traditional custom curtain wall business. Um, really great business. Chuteng uh, Great Golf Drive. Been here since 2006. Uh, we've got about 248 people, plus or minus, on payroll that focus on on this business, whether it be design, engineering, manufacturing, project management, um, and install teams. Then we have what we call our AFR division, Antimax Facade Retrofits. Um, it's focused on kind of doing what Antimax doesn't traditionally do, i.e. it's going to do the reclad restorations, uh, heritage work, uh, small you know, structural glass podiums. Um, it can do a lot of you know, podium work that we'll traditionally give away. Um, and really the reason for that is that you know, we do need to understand that unfortunately owners and GCs are trying to bucket jobs into you know, bigger aspects. Um, and we, you know, we're not as competitive if we can't find a way to do those scopes within ourselves. Um, so what we've done is we opened that division really to grow and focus. So with that as well, we've also done a lot of big retrofits. TD Center is like probably the, like the project in the Antimax history when you walk around here. It's one of the legacy jobs that everyone talks about, but we weren't giving it the right focus. So that's why AFR is kind of a two-part business. It focuses on retrofits and reclads, but then it can also do a lot of the work that Antimax and you know, they, they joke about it. They get to be the garbage men. But there's a lot of good work out there that, hey, it's incremental revenue and it uses our infrastructure and resources. And in economic times, we can balance out our retrofit division with our traditional business and be able to provide people, you know, jobs through that economic crisis. Haven't had to see it yet. I'm kind of hoping it never has to work out, but it is what it is. Um, that's a really great little business that is picking up a lot of steam right now. Uh, then we also have our APS division, which is called Antimax Partner Systems. Uh, again, a lot of fun, cool idea that came out of the fact of, hey, there's a lot of our competitors that have the ability to supply only. Um, we don't want to be all things to everyone, but we're just trying to find a good partner network, maybe you know one to two projects in a region that we don't want to install in. A uh, little bit less risk, obviously, but we can utilize our resources and our infrastructure, again, in a controlled manner to grow people from within, provide supplemental revenue and income, fill holes. Um, so the Antimax partner systems supply only side, um, it, it's a great little growth opportunity for us, I would say, because we don't work in a ton of markets, um, but we have a great brand. And it's known in the market with architects, owners, uh, build the envelope consultants. So, hey, it's a win-win. The other part of APS, which is another really cool aspect is uh, not to brand it like a quasi-innovation hub, but it's, it's allowing it to, to try on new things. Like what is Antimax? We can argue it's a curtain wall company. I don't know, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that Antimax really, we're a modular building envelope company. Our experience and our knowledge of building envelopes, science, building science, how to modularize products, how to do things offsite better, faster, quicker, custom. Um, so one of the, the partners that we've signed up with is a company called Sapphire out of the UK. Uh, and they've got an, a really amazing product. And what it is is, it's an entire offsite built balcony. Um, so think of basically, it's a glide on balcony that you crane in place. Well, the question comes down to it's better thermal performance. It has a full separation break. We're using the exact same production lines, the exact same manufacturing equipment for all the pieces. It's an aluminum cassette, metal panels in the bottom, glass or aluminum railings, decking on top. But again, we just cast in anchors, no different than curtain wall, just these are giant knives that come out the building. And we can slide an entire balcony onto the side of a building. We can do say 20, 25 a day. So you get better quality control, rain screens, much better, thermals, much better. Why not? And again, that's where I think you'll see the evolution of Antimax is 
we are more of a modular building envelope company. We're not just a curtain wall company, but we also didn't want to do, and you know, some people couldn't call me an asshole for saying it, but the truth is we just didn't want to do what everyone else did. You know, yeah, we <laughs> could go and develop a window wall, but no, but those guys, they do it a hundred times better than we'll ever do it. They have it geared, dialed in. So why not find other opportunities? And that's really what we're doing right now with APS. And that it's broken. It's it's, ther- it's the uh, thermally broken on the on the balcony, right? So you're not you're not having all that heat loss through the uh, through the floor of the slab. One hundred percent. Even just think about the installers. You're no longer having to start and stop stop at a balcony or yeah. ledge up. You just run your wall all day long, and we come in wow. after the fact when it's all positive sealed. So it's 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 an evolution. It's going to take time for market adoption, but we've got a you know, couple irons in the fire. Um, testing is complete the company of the uk is has been doing quite a few balconies i forget the number fifteen thousand or something to date yeah. um but that's you know that to us is about the innovation side of the business we don't need to think that we can redevelop everything but we have an infrastructure and a resource let's use it smart on the on the facade retrofit side um I, my, my guess reading about it was was that it was a reaction to um all of the basically all of the momentum that's building uh, regulations, energy efficiency, everything else to, to, to retrofit old buildings. I mean, there's more incentive to do that today and, and just building forward. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that like, I can't remember what, what the Joe Biden, the president in the U S was talking about, but like billions and billions and trillions of dollars spent on retrofitting. And I, I know we're trying to, you know, they're trying to uh, incentivize the same thing in Canada. Um, I, I, I didn't know if it was a reaction to that, but it sounds like you're saying it was more a reaction to the trend of them packaging in the, 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 the retrofit with any, any sort of a new build project. Uh, so it, it kind of double-ended. It started as more an idea that what happens if, like, so we, we became a standalone company again. We weren't part of the big corporate beast. Right. So it started more as what happens if there's an economic downturn? So mm. we started talking, okay, well, where does the market go? If triple class A offices slow down, well, retrofits are likely the next avenue of where people are going to spend money. Um, so it started there and then it kind of evolved into its own thing where Antimax probably gives up 10, 15 bids a week that we could look at. And even of those 10 to 15, maybe there's only two that we'd be serious about, but in, in um, AFR, but it just became one of those things where we have this infrastructure, let it be a facade retrofit business at its core, but it also has that ability to, you know, let it be its own business, its own cash flow, let it survive on its own, its own PL. Um, and that's why we kind of bucketed in some of the work that we just on a daily basis say, ah, it's not us. There's a great infrastructure here. There's 40, 50 drafters. There's seven or eight um, designers. There's another six structural engineers, 15 PMs. We, we have a big infrastructure. I don't want to have to see anyone go. So yeah. it, was, it was a very interesting business. But then now what I'll say is the more and more we get into it, and that's, that's probably a fault of ours is we jump in with two feet and we're not afraid of it. You know, and we'll change on the fly. We make mistakes just like anyone. Mm-hmm. But that business really, when you think about it, Antimax is just nearing 700 completed projects. I think we're at job 697. Um, in reality, that means we have an inventory of 700 jobs one day that need to be reclad. And you yeah. can only fishbowl and recock these buildings so many times. So it's, you know, it's like going to GM and buying the truck, but then having the full service cycle. And <laughs> now we're into the oil changes. And now there's the other aspects of our business that we've done, but we only focused on them on, on economic downturns. We never focused on reclads until there wasn't triple class a offices 
you'll you'll probably end up with a pretty passionate group over there too because uh my experience with the companies that 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 do a lot of the retrofit especially the historical retrofits is they get pretty attached <laughs> to those projects and they and they they end up with um uh, uh uh you know they end up leading the photo gallery uh with uh with 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 some of the stuff they've done it's a, it's a nice showpiece for the company to be sure Oh, 100%. Look, and look at downtown Toronto right now. There's some really great retrofits mm. going on. Um, and you can have full-blown retrofits or you can have the historic retrofits. Um, I like the, uh, the historic retrofits a little bit more. Yeah, It's nice to have a little bit of stone and more than just glass. And I probably shouldn't say it, but yeah. sometimes <laughs> it's nice to mix it up and not just be... True. <laughs> but, you know, that's a great part about our business is we're starting to integrate more and more unique products into our systems. How, how, are, you guys, how are you guys with limestone, Ryan? You're pretty good at... <laughs> Touchy subject. Touchy, touchy yeah, yeah. But we've installed probably the better part of three quarter of a million to a million square feet of limestone and and um, uh, what was the other one? Limestone in uh, Cleveland. What is Cleveland Rock? Anyways, but there's a ton of stone in our buildings that we've unitized, and we've actually, I believe, it was Standard Life Building. Yeah. Uh, 1985 was the first job that we structurally bonded stone into curtain wall panels. So cool. It has not been a short time horizon. It's just we uh, we don't want to buy the stone. <laughs> yeah that's so many problems with that that's the problem <laughs> my goodness neat stuff neat stuff um partner systems uh you didn't just uh uh start this up and and use overflow you have built a new plant uh uh tell me about alliston yeah so i um I'm maybe in the past i've said it the wrong way so uh alliston is a bit of a hybrid for us so we decided um our facilities in concord they were just getting, they were getting packed to the brim. And we changed also our, our model. We moved away from just-in-time delivery. Basically, we took everything from business school and said, let's do the opposite. Let's not run lean efficiencies. Let's not run Six Sigma. Let's not try and be, you know, Magna. Our focus was more around the reality that if we don't have a curtain wall frame while we're spiraling up the building and wrapping, those back charges, those delays, those impacts are monumental. So Allison actually started as we needed storage yard space. And it's a lot cheaper than actually storing it onto a truck. And what we wanted to do is we sell more on a basis of this is your production slot. So we focus our business around the capacity of your production and not the install date. So what we do is we try and manufacture 75, 80, 90% of the tower before we even get on the job site. Um, 19 Duncan's a great example. We've had 100%, uh, it's 5,800 frames in storage for over a year complete. Um, and that job, we just started installing anchors last week. So, but for us, what that allows us to do, and if anyone ever watched Toronto Courthouse go up, we can start wrapping that building and we're not never limited to just-in-time delivery. So mm -hmm. Alliston started on this model of, let's take away the risk of back charges. Let's go find property. That property then became, okay, now we can make frames earlier. Let's, re let's focus on how we sell to the customer better to a production slot and just put it in cheap storage on our land. We got lucky because we were also looking for a new fabrication facility. Um, and I will be honest, I gave up after about eight months and I was driving home from, I think like kids lacrosse game or something in Oakville. And we went back way through Alliston. There was just this property there and 42 acres of land. I think 30 of it is EP. Um, and then there was 50,000 square feet of manufacturing space. And you know, within the matter of a week or two, we had an offer in, I think by you know a month after that, we, we owned the property and started uh, retrofitting it. So then, at that point, what we did is we, we brought in a whole bunch of new machinery. Um, we scrapped um, our break and shear department probably eight months prior. Um, and again, it was, it was a symptom of we did the same 
thing for forever. And we believed it was the right way to do it just because we always did it. Um, so I was not very well liked for a long time in 2018 and 2019. But in you know, late 2019, when we talked about Alliston, we said, no, let's future-proof the business. Um, and so what we did is we, we invested heavily into uh, a lot of automation. So we have a robotic bending cell. We have a, a robotic laser cutting system up there. Um, we can pound out a back pin in, say, 30, 40 seconds. It's not for everything. I'll definitely say that. Um, it's more for our high-volume style work. But that was the second phase because we had storage, and then now we had this business plan with bringing back our own break and shear from all of the things we learned um, from not doing it the way we always did. And I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek that comment because it's a good one around here. Um, but then the, the third part came out of it is, well, this provides us a whole new opportunity. So what we did is we actually moved our entire fabrication department up to Alliston. And again, it's the antithesis of everything lean management. So Alliston is now our fabrication hub. All our mullions go up there. They get fabricated, quality control check, kitted. Then they come down to Concord. That then allowed us to free up the better part of about, say, 20,000, 25,000 square feet in our shop. So that now we have more production space in, in itself, which then allowed us to grow out AFR and APS naturally. So nice. You know, it was one of those uh, you know, triple threat business cases. We couldn't find a lot of reasons not to do Alliston. I'm an old machine tool guy, Ryan. I have to, I, I, I have to ask about the break and shear uh, 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 changes. Uh, what, what did you, I, you don't have to mention brand names if you don't want to, but what, what, what did you guys, how, how did you guys update the equipment? I mean, I, I, you know, that those, those, those are things that seem to uh, hang around in manufacturing facilities for a hundred years. And, and, you know, people are still using them because of course they never break because they're great, heavy, you know, powerful pieces of equipment. Uh, but, uh, uh, what, what did, what, what did you, what kind of changes did you guys make to your approach on, on that side of it? So we were like no one else or like everyone else. We, we had the old school 10, 12 foot break, right. yeah. three guys operating, switching <laughs> dies by hand, setting up 15 times a day. Mm. And I'll actually say it wasn't really because the breaking shear department was beyond efficient here. I will actually say that the problem was the vertical integration. Sometimes you get way too complacent. And what started happening is we started designing harder and more complex parts. <laughs> They're just unrealistic and why, but because we could bend them within, we did. When we got rid of that ideology, we then started to realize we're doing things way too complex. Let's bring it back down to the, the, the normal side of things, which has been a huge win for us. Mm. Um, but more importantly, then going into the new facility, uh, we invested with Bystronic. Um, we've been you know, pretty happy with the equipment thus far. Great. Um, but I think it's uh, two meter by five meter. It, and it's an actual robotic arm bending cell. So what you do is you, you load in, say, uh, two to three pallets of flat stock laser cut material ready to go. Mm -hmm. The ro robotic arm has suction cups, picks it up, squaring cable, takes it over to the brake press, and the brake press is your conventional brake press. It's just there's a robot arm attached to it now, and then it organizes it onto a pallet and then take it out and go. Um, I'm making it sound a lot prettier than it is. There's a lot of work that people do to make that happen. <laughs> um, but, you know, once you start getting good quantity volumes, say 50, 100 different backpans, you're pushing those things out in 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. Um, and really, it's just, it's the first wave of evolution. And why I like that is that, you know, we're having a hard enough time with labor sources. Everyone is. We're not going to sit here and deny it. Um, but we have an aging economy. We have an aging workforce. There's not a lot of people, you know, my age that want to work in a factory. I get it. Um, so this was our first step into automation and robotics. And so we're really happy with how it's gone so far. You know, you say it's going to take six months. It took 12 
but we were <laughs> that's the same story everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people think people think they're going to save labor. People think they're going to save labor with robots. It's it's it's, it's like no, you're not going to save labor. You're still going to need the same number of people. You'll get more done faster eventually, but you, <laughs> you're not you're not saving any labor. <laughs> the, the joke of that is, is you can make a shit ton of scrap metal a lot quicker too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, whereas, whereas, and I, I hate to, you know, I hate to be that guy, but, but, but the old, the old guy you probably had in your shop, and maybe he's still there, uh, running the robot now. Uh, but, but the reason you guys got this feeling of immortality that you could, you could design anything and make any part immediately is because this guy would just know what to do, and he was, and he was probably a magician with the cheer, right? So, 100%. yeah, <laughs> we were forcing unnecessary aspects onto him and and he made some beautiful stuff i will say but it wasn't really required and so this allowed us to hit reset go out to the market see what the market's doing is there a better way to do it and i wouldn't say just from equipment but the actual designs the details the process um and just because we were able to do it and we did it well didn't mean we were doing it to the best of our ability and so that's kind of i would say the humble side of the business is being able to just say Nah, just because we've always done it doesn't mean we really know what we're doing. Yeah, take a fresh take a fresh look at things. Uh, what else? I, I like to stay on the automation stuff. Uh, uh, what else have you got in the new plant that's uh, quote unquote automated? I'm making finger quotes with my fingers. Yeah, I know. Fair enough. The, so the whole um, the whole laser cutting cell that's all automated. I'd say we went very um, how do I want to say it? Uh, we went light. So we put two pieces mm-hmm. of equipment automation into robotics, and that's that's our training ground. Now there's some. Some other things we're going to be working on. I uh, can't let the cat out of the bag yet, but there's some really cool projects that we're working on um, that as we have an aging workforce and replenishing that, that tribal knowledge that the entire industry is losing, um, we hope to find ways to improve you know, every aspect, whether it be CNC, the glazing department, insulation, installation. There's a lot of areas where um, you can make automation more complex than it ever needs to be. And I will tell you that every equipment manufacturer wants to try and find a way to tell you that you need to interlink everything, you don't. <laughs> but if you can improve the process, that's great. Because interlinking just becomes one more problem in lean management. And it takes away efficiencies. And everyone says you're going to save X, but you only maybe get 20% of that savings. So there, there's some cool automation stuff coming out. Um, I think our industry is ripe for some change. It really needs some change there. Yeah. And, you know, kids, if you're listening, uh, uh, get into get into finding out how to how to run uh, how, how to program and how to run uh industrial equipment uh because uh i'm telling you it, it's so hard to find uh people that know what they're doing and and like you say the the, t- the time is now to 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 get that knowledge transfer going man because uh you know there, there are so, so many companies whether they know it or not i think you guys know it i i, I don't know about all of them are relying so heavily on the minds of two or three people uh, that are that are down on the plant floor that have seen it all and done it all and 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 when they go I don't know what they're going to do uh, you know we went through it. yeah it's taken us probably the better part of four to five years to rebuild this business back up to what it needs to be because we lost that tribal knowledge yeah we, like 35 percent of our workforce whether through natural attrition retirement you know leaving for other organizations and opportunities in a matter of a year or two and it's taken us four to five years to rebuild now we were lucky we had old castle behind us at the time and you know those are deep pockets that allowed us to make those transitions but hey we've experienced it it sucks it was painful but yeah. i think we're better for it because that pain and suffering we're seeing in a lot of our competitors today yeah 
Yeah. 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 You guys, if anything, we're, we're just a little bit ahead of that curve and, 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 and there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of others that are going to be, are going to be seeing it coming. I, I think there's uh, I think there's no doubt about it. Um, Mention, mentioning Old Castle, uh, obviously the bit you know it, it was it sent shockwaves around to everybody uh, when 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 you guys were acquired, uh, 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 sent shockwaves again when you were when when you were divested. Um, uh, tell us, I I, I guess uh, you know I, I don't want to tell stories out of school about all of that, but 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 uh, but uh, tell us about the, the the experience of I guess getting divested and 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 leaving a big conglomerate like that that you know had had obviously you know just because of what it was had 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 to dominate so much of your identity and 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 who you guys were. Um, um, what, what was it like going back out being being independent again after that? Oh, it was an interesting journey. I'll, uh, I'll say, hey, Old Castle is a great company. I'm not going to yes. sit here and buy it. Old Castle has so much good behind it. CRH, the parent company, amazing. When you talk about talent development, training, growth, it's a great place. No mm -hmm. questions asked. But we never really fit. We were, we were always this weird arm of the business that how do you fit it in with all those other, you know, the great glass and aluminum plants, but their, their focus wasn't our focus. And so you never had that synergy that needed to happen. And, no one's going to disagree. Hey, Alex, you say I did disagree at the time. Divesting us was the right or wrong idea. Now, I'll say it was definitely the right idea. Everyone was on par. They were, you know, they had the right idea. We just never fit right. Um, and I guess the the reality of it is, we never really were not known as Antimax. We could put our business cards out there and it said, yep. every architect and builder still called us Antimax. Like, yeah. there were, you know, there's always the person in the office who just stroked out the name and put Antimax still on their card. Um, but the reality was, is we had such strong brand value in, in Antimax that it didn't really matter what the business card said. So I think we were a unique scenario that just got completely lucky of brand value. Um, what I will say is it's also, I think, been one of the better things for our business because it's allowed us to be really flexible. It's allowed us to, to get outside of this is your, your lane and you need to stay within it. Um, it's allowed us to flex into other areas that, you know, at the end of the day, in a large multinational, you don't have the ability to, to move as fast as we can today. You know, if, if a gun's to our head and we have 10 seconds to make a decision, we can. It's, you know, it's a small group of people within five minutes. Like that Alliston plan, I can tell you, we, we spent a good bit of money and our investors and it was probably a seven minute phone call. So mm. we never have got that. And frankly, we dusted off a plan that we probably presented four to five times prior. So it, it's one of those things that um, you can't really put your finger on the pulse until you've experienced it. Um, our industry needs entrepreneurialism at the end of the day. We are such a weird and unique trade. Um, I think I'm gonna say this and there's probably a lot of people who may see this or may not and goes, I, he's a real asshole, but you know, I think our business also needs a little bit of a tyrant. You need to have one or two people in the organization that are just pushing and driving. You know, they treat it as their own money or it is their money or whatever it may be. There's the greats out there, Tony Carolla, Juan Speck, like, God bless them. I don't know either of them, but I got a ton of respect for them. And hey, call it what it is. They, they were hard, but they, you know, you got both sides, you got fire and ice. And I really believe that our business needs that because if you fall into bureaucracy and approval processes, you'll never survive. And we lived it. We couldn't. And it was nothing against Old Castle. It's just curtain, custom curtain wall and large major projects and process don't really go together well. Um, so I'd say that's the big win coming out. And then even that being said, um, just difference of, the difference of focus. Um, 
we're not focused on revenue. We're not focused on presenting things to shareholders. We're focused on making money. So if we do 20 million in sales or we do 200 million in sales, that's our decision because we have a profit target and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, people can't skew us on if we did 15% less sales, but 10% more profitability. We're focused on what we're focused on um, and it's working. And I really do though think the secret sauce is you have to be entrepreneurial in those businesses and it is what it is. Just, we lived it. We went through all phases. Now I never saw the front end of it, uh, mm-hmm. but coming out the back end, we have, we have some legacy guys here and gals who have been 30 to 40 year employees and they've seen every phase. Um, and we're trying to go back to what Antimax was. Um, I actually, this is really bad. I forget it, but we, it was like the, the back to the future kind of approach. That was Antimax. We were trying to go back to what Antimax was. Yeah. You've hit my philosophy button. Um, that, that, that it, it, it's a, it's a word. I was just, God, I was, I was just reading an article. Where was that? Forbes or something. I I was just reading, I was just reading an article about, uh, you know, whatever happened to Six Sigma, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the changing, you know, management trends that, that, that go through everything, uh, over time. And, uh, and, and it's funny what everything you just said and everything you just landed on is, is I think part of the new focus, uh, which is agility, right? It, it's, 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 it's agility and flexibility and, and control over your own sort of destiny and processes and goals. And, you know, like, like this, I think is the, is, is the new thing for, for, for companies, uh, uh, especially manufacturing companies to, to, to be striving for uh, maybe, maybe rather than, than ticking all those nine ISO 9,000 boxes and, and, and hitting these, you know, whatever uh, uh, Six Sigma metrics uh, might have been in the past. And not that, not that you don't have to maintain quality, of course you do, but, but, but you know, that tends to kind of take care of itself. And uh, if, you're, if you're doing the job right and you've got the right people in place, but this, this, this idea of, of, of agility and the ability to control your own processes and your own destiny, uh, uh, I think is something uh, more and more people are going to have to look at. Yeah, I think if you get too lost in the process, I'll use a super quick and simple example. If we sell a $60 million job and it's got $3 million worth of capital expenditure against it, mm-hmm. we can't wait for next year's CapEx program. That job starts 30 days from now. I need to go buy that equipment because it's going to take eight months to get here. But that might save us $4 million on a buy program versus buying it on the market. But mm-hmm. if I sold that custom job, I have to deliver. I can't wait for cycles. And, and that's, you know, that's just life. So you know, I think people just need to... Call a spade a spade. People are just afraid of failure and it drives me nuts. Jump in, but control the failure, control the mistakes. Don't be afraid to make them. Um, that, that's the biggest thing that probably in Antimax right now is allow people enough, this is a bad analogy, but allow people enough rope you know, to hang themselves, but cut them down before they're choked out. It, yeah, it yeah, is. there you go. <laughs> Have a box ready to slide. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. I'll... Yeah. Uh, I'll admit I'll never screw up a door again at the start of my career. And Bob Brown, yeah. the director, will tell you, I, man, did I shit the bed on a door? <laughs> I, I, a lot of doors were made wrong, let's say, but I'll never make a door wrong again because I was allowed to have that failure and I was allowed to learn from it. And I think yeah. that is that's the biggest thing is we're so focused on these short-term financial results, but they blend in over the year, they blend in over the two to three years. But if you have that workforce that's dedicated and that workforce that's allowed to make those mistakes, hopefully they stay with you. Not everyone will. Um, you have a better workforce for it. So it's really just a, a different view on investment in our, you know, kind of our approach of being nimble. Absolutely. And, and what the other thing that made me that you said before that made me think of that was, um, was, uh, you know, 
sort of abandoning this just in time concept and uh, and and you know taking take taking control of 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 getting the the manufacturing done ahead of time, uh, uh, not making yourself vulnerable to to sort of the slings and arrows of fortune, uh, and uh, and 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 you know having that inventory there and and you know does it. <sighs> Are the actuarials going to say, well, this is the best inventory management that you can possibly do in the world? Maybe not, but it it it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, your business requires having the stuff ready to go when when you need it to go, and and so there's a you know kudos to you guys, I guess, to to, to sort of kicking over the the, the manufacturing uh, uh, orthodoxies and and saying no, we're 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 going to do it the right way for you know for for our process and our customers, right? It allowed us on, so if anyone's seen the new LCBO tower downtown, um, 100 Queens Key, our iron workers were installing a floor every two days. It was about 135 frames per floor. And it was because we had frames ready. Now, that being said, we put a pretty big crew on it, but because we had the frames ready and sitting there, that building, if you look at a time-lapse or the one on Toronto Courthouse from level six up, it was really, we just kept on hitting the concrete. And for us, that's the greatest thing because where's your largest cost and your largest risk? It's always in the field. So if we can minimize that, it, it was never about the manufacturing efficiencies. It was about that risk in the install and not getting a delay claim. Like yeah, everyone's yeah. coming for your money, so yeah, find a way to protect it. Yeah, give give them as few path pathways to it as possible. Uh, that's for sure. Good stuff. Um, industry talk, uh, supply chain uh, stuff. Ryan, uh, everybody is choked. I've been waiting for a refrigerator since October. Uh, this is, uh, this is a freaking mess. Uh, 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 what are you seeing? Are you seeing shortages? What of, how bad is it? What, what's, what's the effect? Every single day, yeah. every single area, every single aspect, you know, I'm going to call some of the suppliers out. I don't know what's falsified, what's real at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I think everyone's riding the train to drive up costs and Hey, like it is what it is. As long as the industry is doing it uniform. Uh, what I will say though, is I also think it's completely idiotic for the long term. At the end of the day, uh, performers on jobs are going up. We're watching jobs that had concrete or steel structures be revised the opposite way because they can't even afford to build them now. So we can't, as an industry, put ourselves completely out of the market. And all of our input costs are going up. Everyone wants a raise and a bonus every year. Completely fair. The cost of living goes. But we can't keep driving up every single cost input at unrealistic inflation numbers. Um, and it, it's got a concern. I was just looking at the index, uh, I think, this morning the construction materials index went from 220, which was pretty much stagnant over the course of five years to like 325 yeah. in a matter of 12 months. We are not going to see the same volume of work on the market if we continue this. Yes, there will be this really nice bubble, um, but I would rather work for the next 20 years, not the next two. Yeah. So it's no, killing it, us, it, supply chain's awful. It is what it is. But I would also say not being Lean Six Sigma, and I'm not got nothing against Lean Six Sigma. We do. No, no, yeah. Um, but the the reality is, is I actually think that we would be in some pretty dire strait right now if we were, because mm. we have the ability where we're bringing material. Maybe we sit on it a little longer than we should, but as it comes in, it allows our production to stay at full capacity, or you know, a, a respectable number, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think the question must be starting to circle around in some people's heads as to whether it's time to start getting a little snarky uh, because uh, it, it, it is getting to the point where it's, it's starting to pass belief that some relief uh, uh, wouldn't be passing down the, 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 the chain uh, on, on some of, at least on some of these products. 
uh and uh you know the yeah it does does, does the prospect of inflation uh, uh make some people happy uh i hope not because they they have to realize the long-term pain uh right uh, of the short-term gain on that yeah so that's i think that's the more the raw material input and that's the one that's it's killer and hey like mm. how how does lumber go from what is it 400 on the index up to right. 1700 then now down to 530 this morning but lumber prices sure as hell haven't dropped that no. two by fours i'm still paying about eight bucks not not the dollar 90 back in 2020 but uh it's still it's painful to watch right now because i there is a, there's a genuine worry that this is good short term. What happens long term? And now we can all argue about residential construction. Immigration will then drive the economy. But at the end of the day, you know we're not all in just residential construction, and there's only so many towers that get built as well. So yeah, gotta kind of you know push back a little bit here and find a better way to to not drive every job out of reality. I think I think there's a lot of people that have complained about their squeezed margins for a lot of years who are now finding this opportunity to. Uh, alleviate that problem uh, in a permanent way, uh, but uh, anyways, I'm I'm getting I'm, I'm getting I'm getting overly cynical. It's just well, it's, just, it's, it's like those it's 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 like those. I don't know if you, I, I mean in the in the magazine a, a couple of years ago, Frank Fulton went went crazy on uh, on um, oh the fuel costs the uh, the 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 extra yeah the the transportation costs on the glass and uh, and and how you know once they were in place. Wow, they never went away. And <laughs> I'm gonna keep my mind on that. If I wasn't on camera, my computer would probably be through the window by now. <laughs> but no, it's it's just one of those things. It's life, but we just, you know, yeah. I do worry about the industry long term. I'm all for everyone making money. We all have to make money. It, sure. We we have the same conversation with GCs, the same with developers, but it's what's a respectable, sustainable profit versus, you know, I think that's maybe a little bit of a difference in, with us is we're looking at a 20-year horizon. It's no hidden secret. I'm young. A lot of our management team is younger. Um, and we're looking at a 20-year horizon, not the next two or three years. Yeah, exactly. Is what it is. Speaking of which, uh, uh, labor, ages. We, well, we, t we, we touched on it a bit already, but, 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 but I mean, uh, you know, you had an interesting comment when we, when we talked a few days ago, um, uh, you know, that there's, there's, there's a lot of wailing about about the labor supply. It it, it, it affects everybody. It's a it, it's a difficult problem. Um, but uh, but you guys, you're you you say you're not feeling you're saying you're not feeling that as much uh, more because of your approach than any other reason. Get 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 into that for us. What's what's the what what's what's your approach on the labor thing and 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 how do you think you can avoid a lot of the difficulties people complain about? Yeah, um, I would say we probably lose just as much or more people than everyone. But I would say it's all about fit for us. Um, and I think that's very easy to say in our HR by the end of this, I'm in a lot of trouble. But the reality is, is that, you know, we're not for everyone. And I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone for two seconds that we're for you. There's probably 30 people on this call who said, yeah, that guy never again will I work with. That's fine. I'm okay with it. I think our business is because when you have those better fits and you focus on those fits of people and, I, you know, we try and do a good job. We never do it perfect. But I genuinely believe that you can get more out of people and they want to deliver more when the fit is right, instead of just focusing purely on the money. Everyone needs to make a good buck. I'm not gonna disagree about that. Um, but we just kind of took a hard stance around, you know, we're focusing on fit and we pay to that fit. Um, and, you know, providing people those talent and that development and taking risks on people. Like we, we've got some rock stars right now. Don't wanna name names because if a recruiter ever watches this, I'll pay the price. <laughs> but we've got some real rock stars who, you know what? 
they got the same opportunity I did. We took huge risks on them. We allowed them that opportunity to win and fail. Some of them failed miserably. Some of them won, you know, fantastic. Um, and hey, I can be just as hard and our team can be just as hard on people, but it was about not allowing it to be personal, not taking it out on them. If that mistake was made, it's, hey, you made the mistake, move on. Um, and I do believe people value that. Not everyone, but I do believe that that's been a, a big benefit for us is just allowing people that freedom to make those mistakes and make decisions. Uh, Jeff Smith, the CEO of Elliston, I always love reading his blogs. He's as quirky as it gets, but you know he's got a lot of good ideology on that. Just put people in, throw them in the deep end, see what happens, give them an opportunity. Um, and I, I do feel that that's it's easy for me to say, but I feel that that's a lot of reason why some of the people have stuck around. I know that they can get more money to go down the road, um, but hopefully there's something that we can provide that they can't. And that's what it is, I think. Maybe right. I'm wrong. Maybe we do pay too much. Who knows? No. The, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, the, you know what? The, the the personalities and the culture of the of uh, of the company uh, account for a lot. It's it's funny. I was just talking to my daughter about that, who works at Costco. Uh, but uh, that you know, like like the the you can ha having having a having a um, a focused mentality on the, on the, on the people that you've got. And like you say, ensuring the fit and, and, and having the kind of people there, they're going to appreciate how you guys approach things. Um, uh, it, it can, it can cover a lot of, uh, it can cover over a lot of other side and cover over the pay. It can cover over the hours. It can cover over the amount of work, you know, you're, you're asked to do. I mean, I mean, people will, people will work hard if they're happy with you. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be any doubt about it. Yeah. And the other thing is really the talent and, Talent development, talent, I think yeah. everyone needs to do a better job at us included. I, we have not been great at it historically. I think we're doing a really good job moving towards that. Um, and there's others that actually, I think they have great programs to develop people. But it's that old saying, like, you need to train the people because what are you going to be left with if you're not? Um, and I, I think we also do way too much poaching within the industry, which is awful. Uh, but nonetheless, I think talent development and making sure, because the next generation's here. We had an entire call it 35% of the staff who had been together for 25, 30 years through the old Antimax and grew together, they all retired in a five-year window. It's taken us five years to rebuild this entire team up. And it's a very unconventional team, but it works because that's what we are. We're, you know, we're a little weird. I'm never going to deny that. And we're never going to be for any, everyone. So in case we get a bunch of resumes across the bow, they'll definitely consider, but we're, uh, we're not for everyone. And we'll tell people that right up front. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. A lot of expectations, but People survive and they'll, they'll go through the process and be better for it. Awesome. More energy. This is, this is like the lightning round of industry topics. Uh, energy standards, um, tightening. Um, well, we, we talked a bit about this already. I mean, I mean, obviously it creates opportunities on the, on, on the retrofit side of things. It's already created an opportunity for you because now you can sell a thermally broken uh, uh, prefabricated balcony solution. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, you know, can, well, actually it's surprising how much benefit those have on, uh, on, uh, facades because, uh, the amount of heat that's lost, I know through the, through the slab is, is something else. You can see it in all the thermal modeling. Um, but, um, energy efficiency getting tighter, trying to build net zero buildings by 2050 or whatever the objective is, uh, threat or opportunity for you guys, Ryan. Uh, so for us, it's a huge opportunity. Just look at the residential market. There's going to be evolution. There's going to be people driving different technologies and not just be window wall. Um, I would say it's just, we need to go there. We have to move there. It's 
if not, Europe's 20 years ahead of us. We're going to look like fools as a country soon enough and a society, even Canada and U.S. Um, so there's a lot of good that comes with it. And I genuinely am not in any manner a tree hugger. This is coming from the guy who drives a pickup truck. So, yeah. but it's one of those things where there is a line of, we do need to start doing the right thing. We should push technology to the next generation. We should try and find ways to innovate because that's the only way we're going to get scales of economy into higher performing systems. It's like anything, you know, the double a week coding days from five, six years ago and all oh, it can never be afforded. Well, now it can, bird friendly glass, it can be afforded. Um, and frankly, if you're going to mandate it, mandate it and move on. Uh, the only thing I'd say is the, the problem with these codes is there are lots of ways to skirt around them. Um, so you need to look at it more on a kind of provincial or a national or a federal, whatever it may be, level. Because like, look at Toronto. Toronto can put one building code out, but Mississauga could put another. And then so what, it's a developer going to move money from X to Y because they can do it for 5% cheaper at Y. Um, so, I, you know, that's a very broad stroke, you know, no background comment, but the reality is I think we need to do a better job societally. This is not an industry thing, um, but industry needs to be ready to scale up. And there's a lot of opportunities through modularization, through you know, having these offsite build better quality systems. Um, and the higher the performance, the better it is for Antimax. So we're gonna go opportunity all day long. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I think the, well, I, I think a lot of the regional disparities, uh, you know, will, will, will continue to exist, but the whole thing is gonna be driven uh, higher from the federal, from the from the provincial, mainly, but but also from the federal level, because uh, uh, even the provinces are 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 being told to get in line with uh, with with NRCAN's plans, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 just going to be a general rising, you know, of 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 all the of all the standards across the board, and then and then Toronto and Mississauga will have their different things, but it'll still fall within. Yeah, it, it won't be able to fall below the floor of what the province says has to be has to be achieved, right? It's just Tor Toronto may. Well, I don't know if Toronto will become more like Vancouver and start to <laughs> start to drive it harder than the province even wants to. <laughs> but, oh, but it, yeah. you know, I think it's the, it's good for the industry because it drives innovation. Like, it does. It, yeah, it, it does. And it never it never made any sense to be in leaky buildings and just turn the heat up. I mean that 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 you know really was 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 never a, a great solution. Uh, uh, here in the frozen north, uh, so uh, yeah, I think I think we, we we're looking at a good chance a good chance of improvement in our building stock. Yeah, like even just look at window wall, like credit where it's due. The window wall guys, if you look at twenty years ago to today, their systems are you know, they're starting to perform a lot better. They're they're investing time and effort and innovation, and you are getting better buildings out of that. And but it took you know the pressures and developers and building code evolution. But hey, they are putting out good product. We don't need to you know knock them. Um, yeah. It is what it is. Innovation is a good thing. I wouldn't want to do the same thing every day for the rest of my life. So All right. push the market. Absolutely. One of my, one of my, one of the fun things I, I, I got to do uh, in the magazine, at least fun for me, I guess I have a weird definition of fun, uh, but was, was diving into that whole Chinese dumping uh, uh, scenario with, with the tariffs, uh, the, the decision by the uh, uh, Canadian Trade Tribunal to, uh, to, to put tariffs on and, to, and, and, and some of the documentation they produced uh, uh, with that was just really amazingly revealing both of, of our industry and the, and the, the Chinese industry. And, uh, and I believe I saw your name on uh, some of the, uh, some of the uh, documentation as, as being involved uh, in some of the meetings and the, and the, and the consultations. Well, I, I guess Antimix was a signatory to, to the whole complaint in the first place. Um, and uh, it, it, let, let, I, I guess the, 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 very, the very simple question is, has the problem of, of dumped 
Chinese product or offshore product anywhere uh, has has that has that been solved in Canada to your to your satisfaction? Uh, I would say no. The, definitely the dumped product from other areas. Now the definition of dumped could be you know very wide depending on how it's viewed, but low right. cost product from other countries. Uh, and hey, look, we we've brought in materials from other areas as well. Uh, we've moved away from it slightly in different areas, but sometimes it's the cost advantage to get a job. It's unfortunate, I, and I'm the first to admit it. Um, but overall, I'd say, yes, it has improved on the main contractor side, sorry, main like curtain wall contractors. You're not seeing the Janghos, Yuandas bidding jobs anymore, um, but you are seeing kind of a secondary market more on the West Coast, uh, where say a regional installer is still able to bring in a system from overseas. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'll say we're not seeing these, you know, $50 a square foot curtain walls anymore that we can't even buy the material for. So, hey, that's a, that's a good day. Um, but there's a lot to be had there. And I think we need to keep up on that. Like when you look at the Chinese's ability and the amount of square footage that they can pump out, I'm sorry to say it, but we have enough competition here. We cut each other's throats like no one's business. We don't need them here to help cut them. <laughs> it is 100% hyper-competitive already. And their production volumes and capacities, us all together, I think was only a fraction of even just what you, it was, you want to Jang Ho. Uh, but one of the large players. It was Jang Ho. Yeah. yeah, it was Jang Ho, the entire Canadian unitized curtain wall production annually was less than the overflow, the unused capacity yes. on one of their plants, and they have 40 plants. <laughs> it was, and I think there was what, there was 70 something on, on the list. That yeah. Like Mind-boggling. The companies that you didn't even know ever existed. So, a lot of them are a lot of them are a lot smaller. A lot of them are a lot smaller than Jang Ho and Yuanda. But 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 yeah, it, it, that's right. And there's dozens of companies. It 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 you know it it really it really is a case that if they you know if if totally unfettered un, unregulated situation, if they wanted to just walk in and grab all the market share in Canada, they could. Uh, so and they did it. Frankly, they did. It. There's no hiding the fact that they pretty much did that back in the day. Yeah, um, it would have been about 10 years ago, plus or minus, but it, it is a scary reality. Um, that also said, there's there was a lot of good that came out of the tribunal. Look at the amount of people who have been employed, expansion in businesses, how many of our competitors and ourselves have grown through that process, providing new jobs. Like it's, it's one of those circular economy conversations like, okay, yes, there's a little bit of protectionism, but at the same time, how much comes out of that and how much of the economy is driven off that? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It could be scary one day, um, I would say, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't see that going away anytime soon. Um, there's just small trails of it, but who knows even how you know, realistic it is. Well, and on the protectionism side, it has to be pointed out that, that and, and you said, how do you define dumping? Well, the Canadian Trade Tribunal has a very specific definition of dumping. Uh, and, and that is that the company has to be shown with a lot of evidence and a lot of research uh, to be selling the product in the target market for less than their cost at home. So it isn't that they're under, it isn't that they're able to produce something cheaper than a Canadian manufacturer can. That's allowed. That's okay. They, they can, if they, if they have economy of scale or, or cheaper inputs or whatever, and they can make it cheaper than a Canadian company, they're allowed to sell it for less in Canada. That, 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 that isn't it. It's only if they're actually losing money on the product, that they're sending into Canada, that, that, that the dumping accusation sticks. 
And that's what they showed them to be doing. They, they, were, they were actually making it less than their cost in China. They were selling it for, for less than what their cost would be in China. And, and, and so, you know, how do you view that as anything other than a predatory uh, uh, sort of practice, right? 100%. Sorry, I meant more like, is it coming through Korea? Is it coming through Thailand? Is it like, where, where's that port? And where is, you know, that's where I think oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Of, yeah. There's, there's some hidden. Oh, yeah, there's lots of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots no, of 100%. It's, it's, it's a scary reality. How do they sell it here cheap and they can make it there and put it on a boat and then install Frank Luker? It's expensive labor here. No one's going to deny it. You know, unionized iron worker at Glazer, 75 to, you know, 85 bucks an hour, fully burdened, overtime mm -hmm. at 125, 130, and that's just our cost. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's, it, it, and I, I love your point about the spinoff effects. I, 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 I mean, the, 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 the growth of Antimex, you know, the, the, the growth of, of, of all of our, of all of our uh, fabricators and, and installers and contractors, I mean, I mean, it just, <sighs> I'm sorry. It's 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 beneficial. It's it's it it, it turns out to be to, to to really be a better economic solution than than having you know just a, a hundred percent service economy of this stuff brought in and all and and all anyone in Canada is making money on is 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 doing the installation. Not not that that isn't a good business to be in, but you know th then there's all there's all the other stuff we could be doing, and it, it, I think it I think it just makes a, a heck of a lot more sense. So. Put put mark mark me down as thank you to the Canadian Trade Tribunal for uh, for going ahead with the tariffs and uh, and uh, and keep it up, uh, you know. For that, well, I, I reiterate, it's a competitive enough market. We do a pretty yeah. good job of beating the living hell out of each other. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think one competitor will say that we're not hyper competitive enough. The Canadians are perfectly perfectly ready to race to the bottom, all on our own. We don't we don't need anybody pulling the rug out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly well you know what ryan i've kept you uh for quite a while why don't uh, uh what, what's the future look like what, what are you guys working on new developments any anything uh what what, what else is going on with antimex that we haven't touched on Ooh, lots happening uh our, our parent company o3 industries which owns uh, which owns antimax they've acquired obviously a glass company in boston uh sorry architectural glass fabricator called solar seal uh, they put a great guy in charge, Jeff Heinz. He, he's an amazing, amazing industry uh, fabricator. There's some, you know, there's some big plans and investments happening there that people will hear about sooner than later. Mm -hmm. um, we've got some other innovations that are going to come out of Antimax. We, uh, we just picked up the, uh, the design assist on Academic Wood Tower with U of T. So that's a really cool. Oh, cool. So yeah. that's, uh, that's an exciting venture with some large format panels and a, you know, it is a 17 story wood structure. So we're excited to see that come through. Neat. Um, we're focusing on different types of project uh, delivery models where we're getting more into the IPDs. We're seeing larger projects come out there and it takes a tinier resource, but they're rewarding projects. I really do believe that. Um, there'll be a couple of innovations people will hear about hopefully earlier next year. Can't let that out of the bag, but yeah, there's <laughs> always something happening and I get bored you know, as quick as I say it. So it's like squirrel onto the next. But uh, I think you'll just see evolution. We, we need to plan for the future. We're three years out of Old Castle getting the business back on the rails. Um, we've got a lot to fix still. We've got a lot to improve. And there's a lot of opportunity in the market. There's, there's a lot of retirement companies. People need to be ready in the industry. And this is more outside of Antimax, but people need to be ready for that next jump. They need to be training themselves, thinking about situations. How are they going to get themselves from you know, Y to Z and, or A to Z, I guess is the way to say it. But yeah, there, there's a lot of good to be had. And I hope, you know, the people can see Antimax is the right organization to either join or try and be part of, or 
whether it may be partnering vendors, there, there's a lot of good in our industry, but I think we need to focus on the fact that there is a huge generational swing coming and we need to train people. We need to get everyone up and new products need to come out. So it's exciting. I would say very opportunistic time. There is a lot of work on the horizon. It's exciting. That is awesome. Ryan, you guys are doing it your way. And uh, that is uh, that is something that's really, uh, really fun to see. So uh, uh, all eyes will be uh, on, on you guys, I think, uh, for, uh, for the next foreseeable future. I want to thank you, Ryan Spurgeon, president of Animax, for uh, joining me today and sharing all of your really cool uh, uh, insights and perspectives on, on this crazy industry. Thanks a lot, Ryan. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Glass Talk. You can find this episode at glasscanadamag.com or on the major podcasting services. Glass Talk is a presentation of Glass Canada Magazine and Annex Business Media. Music